Oh, good morning, IEC. Uh, to those who are visiting, we want to welcome you today. We're glad you uh, have chose to uh, be with us today. We hope you feel um, loved and supported as you visit. My name is Pastor Steve, and uh, again, I bring you my welcome. Um, let me tell you where we are. We are in the book of Galatians. We have this Sunday and next. We'll finish up Galatians in the month of February. The month of March, we're going back to Matthew's Gospel. We've been in Matthew's Gospel um, before. We took a break from it. Now we're going to finish up Galatians. We're in Galatians chapter 6 today. And we'll be in uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. Now, if you've ever studied any of Paul's letters, there's a pattern Paul follows. He always starts his books with theology, meaning this is what we believe. This is truth. This is what you are to believe. And Paul started Galatians really dealing with the issue of we are justified by grace through faith alone. That it's faith that saves us. Faith in Christ. He saves us. You can't save yourself. Your works can't save you. And at the end of every one of his books, he moves to very practical application of what you believe. So today, we're going to get into some really uh, practical things about because we believe we are saved by faith alone. Because that's true of every redeemed person. You're not redeemed because of your works. You're not redeemed because of your religious practices. You're redeemed because Jesus paid the price and you have placed faith in him. Because of that, this is how we respond and live. So today, we're going to be looking at the responsibilities of the Christian life. And these responsibilities, hear this, two weeks ago, we looked at the fruit of the Spirit. These responsibilities of the Christian life flow out of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So let's stand as we read the passage we're in today, Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. Hear the word of our Lord. Brothers, if anyone is caught in, a transgre in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too become, be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. The one who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will reap from the flesh corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, 
as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are in the household of faith. This is the word of God for the people of God. And all God's people said, praise be to God. You may be seated. God, your word declares that all men are like grass and all our glories like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word, O Lord, stands forever. May this be the word that's faithfully preached today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you have your bulletin, what we're going to see today is the responsibilities of the Christian life toward five different areas or five different people. So the first one we see is here in verse 1. And we get who Paul is addressing. First thing Paul says is the word brothers. That means he's, refer he's addressing us, the church. Those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, who've been redeemed by his blood, that's who he's addressing because he starts with the word brothers. And the last words of our passage today in verse 10 speaks of the household of faith. So the primary focus of what we're going to look at today is to Christians. It's being spoken to the church. It's being spoken to us. And he starts off with this. Brothers, if anyone, anyone, that phrase anyone or all, that phrase somehow is used in this passage 15 times. So that's a major emphasis. It doesn't matter who you are, this is speaking to you. If anyone is caught in a transgression. Now that English word caught can be used a few different ways. We can use it like children playing tag. Children play tag. One child runs and another child chases them. And they try to catch that other child. That's how the game is played. We can also use the word caught, meaning you were doing something. And every parent knows this. Unless you have perfect children, which I don't think is any of us. Your child is doing something that you've told them not to do. And you catch them doing it. They've been caught doing what they're not supposed to do. So those are a couple of ways the word caught can be used. But here it's actually used in referring to a different way the word. You see, there's also the word caught can be used when you're fishing. Like if you're using a net and you catch a, a lot of fish and they're trapped in the net. They cannot get out of the net. That's what this is using. This is saying you are caught in a transgression. Not meaning that you've been busted, though that could have happened. It's speaking of you are trapped in it. You're trying to get out. You want to get out. You don't want to be in this transgression, but you're trapped in it and it keeps on getting you. That's what it's speaking of here. You're trapped. One of the things the Bible uses as a, an analogy often is running a race. Our, our faith, our, our faith life is often referred to as running a race. And, and the picture here that we're to get is you're running a race and you're doing well. You're faithful. You're seeking the Lord. You're running the race well, but someone comes up from behind you and mugs you. Some have experienced that. They come and mug you. That's what it's saying sin does. You're tempted. You look up. And next thing you know is you're caught in sin. 
Sin has gotten a hold of you. I've got a, a video that shows a, a, uh, some runners. And I thought this gave an illustration of, of what it's like to, to be caught and, and to need help, to need someone spiritual to come and help you. So let's just watch this video. I think we've got it. There, your picture also. And so we have uh, the athletes uh, coming one after the other in finishing. But a great race has uh, run there uh, by this the man that has oh, won for this. Oh, oh, oh. He cannot, legs, he cannot go again. He cannot finished. go again. He can roll to the finish. Legs are giving up. Now he can barely cross the finish line. He I think the medics, I don't think the medics should just go there. He should rush quickly to his aid. That's the spirit. Crossing the finish line. They can crawl. You can do whatever, but just cross the finish line. At what spirit? Sportsmanship to the highest order. And now, oh, this, this is, is lovely. This is, this is what sports should be all about. This is what sports should be all about. That's Trying to be your... Kip Kemoy. Oh, that's a civil Chepard, I think. Kip Kemoy. Kip that's Chepard carrying him. Now the medics should just uh, go, of course, uh, and uh, help her. They, they should please uh, rush, rush there. Speak, uh, they should just rush there. It's Chepard. As you watch that race, here's this guy. He's running well. And, and, and know this, these are world-class athletes. They, this isn't like a, a race that, you know, you can sign up to go and join. This is a race that you've got to be professional, elite, the best in the world. These guys get paid based on how they finish. And here comes this one man. He's running the race well. You see, he's near the finish. He's about to finish. And all of a sudden, his body gives out. He's caught. He's trapped. Everything he does, he wants to finish. He desires to finish the race well. He wants to keep running the race, but he can't get up. He rolls over. He rolls over. He's trying. You see him giving all his effort. And finally, someone comes and sacrifices their own position to help another person. They get down in it with him. That other runner... When he stopped to help his friend, he lost position. He lost money. He lost time. He lost a lot. He had to sacrifice to help out his friend, to help him cross the finish line. Now, we have some Kenyan brothers and sisters in our church. These two men are Kenyan runners. And the man who helped, listen to what he said when they asked him, you know, what? You're near the finish line. Why would you stop and help? He said, my dad told me one day, when you're walking and you meet a sick person on the road, help him. Do not leave him. So that was the first thing that came to mind when I saw my friend on the ground. He said, running's not war. Running brings peace, unity, and friendship. Now, that's not a particularly theological uh, statement, but this guy is telling us something. He saw someone in need, and to help him, he had to be willing to sacrifice. He didn't finish his high. He had to pay a price himself to get down in it with this friend to help him out, to help him out of his problem. Now, what do you think their relationship was like after that? 
These two men. Think about that. Think about the man who fell down and somebody picked him up and literally helped drag him across the finish line. I can imagine these two guys have a beautiful, unique relationship. I can imagine they're bonded in a very special way. Some of you, you've been in a season that's been really hard. Maybe you've been in a season where you were caught in a transgression, where you were fighting a sin and it kept getting the best of you and you wanted out and you said, I want to have victory over this, but you kept struggling and falling and falling and someone comes and they help you out. They pick you up. They take time. They call and check on you. They see how you're doing. They take their own time, their own energy, their own effort to help you. Now, if you've experienced that, and I pray many of you have, because that's how the body of Christ is to operate. If you've experienced that, your relationship with that person that picked you up is transformed forever. You look at them differently. You say, when I was down, I was hurting, and I needed help, they stopped and picked me up. They stopped and helped me out of the transgression and got in it with me. In the book of James, it says this, James 5. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover a multitude of sins. You see, the Christian life, when you become a Christian... You're not going to live sinless. We're still going to struggle with sin. But as Christians, we hate sin. We hate what sin does to our relationship with God. We hate what sin does to our relationship with other people because it impacts it. And the goal here, look at this. We often miss this. The goal, you who are spiritual should restore him with a spirit of gentleness. The goal, the, the, the hope is restoration. If someone has fallen and they're caught in a transgression, we want to restore them back to right relationship with God. We want to be with them until they can get back in the race running it well. That's the heartbeat of it. John Stott said this word for restore is like when someone's broken a bone and that bone is put back in place. And it's bandaged until it heals. That's what we need to do for others. Uh, also, an, another picture. This is the same word, this word restore, that's used for when the disciples, they were mending nets that had become broken. And they're putting these nets back together so that they are useful again. So that they're in right position. That's what we're to seek to do for one another. Because the reality, the truth is, Sin trips us all up. There is no one here today that even as a follower of Christ does not still struggle with temptation, that does still not battle sin. And if you're sitting here going, that's not me, I venture to say you are living under some level of deception in our attitudes, in our hearts, the way we treat each other. If you're here today, and there's another person that you, another brother or sister that you're going, hey, we do not get along. 
I'll guarantee you there is sin involved in that. There's something that needs to be healed, restored, repaired, brought back together. And sometimes you need somebody to help you out of that. So the goal here is positive. It's construction. It's healing. It's restoring. You know, so often in the, in the church, in the body of Christ, when someone struggles, we're not quite sure what to do with them. In fact, some of our cultures, we even go, hey, they've messed up, cast them out, shame them, shame their families, have nothing to do with them. That's not the goal. The goal is restoration. Even Jesus in Matthew 18, as he speaks of a, of a person who's struggling in sin, he says, confront them one-on-one, -on -one, confront them with another, and if not, you need to tell it to the church. And if they... Even after meeting with elders and others, if they still won't deal with it, then you have to say, hey, you're not acting like a Christian. And it's out of love that we want to see you restored. That's always the goal is restoration. The goal is never to cast somebody out. The goal is never to remove somebody to get rid of them. It's to see them brought into right relationship with God again. Now, if some think this sounds light on sin... As Christians, we have a hatred of sin. And sin always has natural consequences that are quite destructive, more destructive than we even realize. Sin begins to eat and destroy and damage your joy in the Lord. You can't experience your joy in the Lord the way that you, your soul craves to when you're walking in sin and you're caught in it. And sin destroys our relationship with one another. So again, our goal is to see restoration. And, and know this, because I know there's people here today who are caught in sin. There's some of you here today, and you're caught in sin, and you're afraid to tell anyone. Because you're afraid of this. If I tell someone, they'll shame me, they'll use it against me, they'll hurt me. Now, as Christians, we need other people to help us. We need somebody to, to, to pick us up. Know this, you can't outsin the grace of God. You can't outsin God's grace. God's grace covers our sin. Remember the woman caught in adultery? The religious leaders stone her. Let's get rid of her. And Jesus says, Go and sin no more. Because he knows that the sin is eating this woman. It's hurting her. It's damaging her. And he wants her to experience freedom from sin. And sometimes when we're caught in it, we need somebody to help us. And it says, here's who's to help you. You who are spiritual. A few things. We talk about somebody who's spiritual. Someone who loves the Lord, who trusts the Lord, who seeks Him. A spiritual person knows this. God's grace covers our sin. A spiritual person knows this. Your sin is hurting you, and I want to help you get out of it. A spiritual person knows that heaping more judgment on this person in that season isn't going to help, that we want to help them be restored. And again, this is assuming that this person is pursuing restoration. They want to be restored. But we do it with a spirit of gentleness. Now, he gives a warning warning is this. Keep watch over yourself lest you be tempted. Sometimes when a person is seeking to help somebody, 
they can fall themselves. So he's saying, watch, because you can be tempted yourselves. And in verse 2, second thing we're going to see. So the first thing, I spent more time on this first one. I've got five things today, our responsibilities toward one another. The first one I spent the most time on, towards sinning Christians. Because oftentimes, this is where we as Christians struggle the most. When someone is caught in sin, we don't know how to help them. So sometimes it's easier just to be like, push them away. Now, we get in and we help them. Look at what it says in verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Well, Jesus sums it up this way. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. So when you help someone who's carrying a burden, and again, this is speaking in particular about a Christian who's carrying a burden. It's heavy and they need help. Martin Luther says the word is this idea. You get in the mess with them. Not meaning you jump into sin, but you're willing to get down and empathize with them. To be with them in their hurt, in their pain, in their struggle. And you help them. And in doing so, you fulfill the law of Christ. Love your neighbor as yourself. I've heard it said that the Christian army is the only army that leaves their wounded behind. It doesn't stop and pick up those who've fallen, those who've been hurt. Now we're to be those who love those who are struggling. Let it lean in. To realize this, because the arrogant, when they see other people in sin, they go, look at how bad they are, I would never do that. But those who know the temptation and the reality of sin and go, but for God's grace, I'm not there. I'm so close. God, it's only by your grace that I've been spared falling into that. Look at what he says in verse 3. He says, for anyone thinks something of himself, he's nothing. We deceive ourselves. When we look at another person trapped in sin, carrying a burden, and we go, they're awful. I would never do that. I would never fall to that. We deceive ourselves. We think too highly of ourselves. We become puffed up. And here's what he says the solution is, verse 4. Test your own works. Test your own works. What, are your, what, what does the fruit of your works say? Because then you'll have reason to boast, because when we look at the works of our lives, we go, hey, but for God's grace, there's nothing that's produced in my life that's of any good. It's only by God's grace. Now in verse 5, he says, each one will have to bear his own load. Now that seems to contradict verse 2. Look at verse 2. Each one, you bear one another's burdens. And that's the second point in our thing is how we respond toward the burden Christian. But then he says, you'll have to carry your own load. They seem to say opposite. Well, these are different words. In verse 5, the idea of carrying your own load is like a backpack. Every day when my boys go to school, they grab their backpacks. I think they bring every book home from school because their backpacks are super heavy. I'm assuming they may have back problems one day from carrying these heavy backpacks. But they're able to carry them. They're able to, they can handle carrying the backpack themselves. They don't need me to go, hey, I'm going to help you carry that backpack because you can't carry it. The load's too heavy. No, it's a heavy load, but they can carry it. Verse 2 is speaking of a burden that you can't do yourself. 
It's like that guy running the race. He was trying everything to get up and cross that finish line. He just couldn't do it. He needed somebody to help him. So yes, we carry one another's burdens. But as Christians, we also have a load to carry. That we carry ourselves. But when our load becomes too heavy... When that load, we begin to break under the weight of it. That's when we bear one another up and we come and help one another. We're to carry each other's burdens. Next thing, and third point, in verse 6. It says, the one who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. So this is how Christians respond toward those who teach the word. Scripture speaks of... Helping meet the needs of those who are teaching. We see that in Philippians. We see that in 2 Corinthians. So what it's speaking of here in Israel, they collected taxes and they played their priest out of the taxes. When the church began, those who were doing full-time ministry, they didn't have any means of supporting them. So what Paul is saying, hey, you support those who are doing full-time vocational ministry. Now, all of us are called to ministry. In fact, Paul gives many examples of how you do ministry. He does it as a tent maker, bivocationally. And then he does it full time when the Philippians support him. So how we support ourselves in ministry may look different. And here's the reality. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are called to ministry. I hear people often say, well, hey, I don't feel called to ministry. No, listen, if you have trusted in Christ as your Savior... You are called to ministry. Now, it may be vocational ministry, or for most, it's going to be working in some capacity and doing ministry to those around you. You're bivocational minister. But we believe in the priesthood of all believers. So here's how we respond to teachers. We help support them. Now, in verse 7, he says, Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked, for whatever one sows, he will also reap. Now, it's speaking in particular of sowing the word of God. Now, there is the principle in Scripture. We never get what we, we deserve as Christians. You've sowed sin, and you deserve separation from God. Instead, he doesn't give, give us what we deserve. But in life, if you're cruel, if you're judgmental, if you're harsh, all these things, you reap what you sow in that. In particular, in this passage, is speaking most directly to the one who sows the Word of God. That if you sow the Word of God, it will reap. You'll reap in the blessing of sowing the Word of God. So he's saying, here's how Christians respond to those who are sowing the Word. If you sow the flesh, you reap the flesh in verse 8. If you sow the spirit, you reap the spirit. In verse 9 it says, listen to this. Let us not grow weary of doing good. Don't grow weary of doing good. So in your sowing, as you sow, you are going to have a temptation to grow tired and weary. You know, where we, where we live... It's easy to grow weary. One of the things my wife and I have discussed often since moving here, 
just driving down the street, just walking down the street. The people we see in need overwhelm us. And it's easy to begin to grow weary of it. And one of the things my wife has often said to me, I don't want to become numb to the needs of the people around us. But it sure does hurt seeing all the need. And we can sure grow weary in seeing all of the need around us. You see, it can be so overwhelming seeing all this. So Paul is saying to the Galatians, don't grow weary in sowing. Don't grow weary in doing ministry. Don't grow weary in these things. Yet here's what I know. There's many here today who are weary. There's those who've been doing ministry, investing in people, and you grow weary. There's nothing wrong with needing help and needing others, but we can easily grow weary. I heard a, in the 1700s there was a Sunday school teacher, and she had this one young boy who would show up. He was dirty, dirty clothes, smelled, he lived on the streets. And she took this young boy and she gave him new clothes. But when she gave him the new clothes, she didn't see him again. He didn't come back. Eventually she found him out on the streets. And his new clothes were dirty and smelled. So she brought him back to Sunday school and again gave him new clothes. And she did this over and over again. This boy would come and she'd give him new clothes. And she eventually began to grow weary. And she went to the Sunday school superintendent and said, Hey, I don't think I can do anything for this young boy. I've tried and I've grown weary. And the Sunday school teacher said, I'll get his clothes this time. And one more time they bought clothes for this young boy. This was in the 1700s. And this time the young boy stuck around. And he would hear the gospel. And he would place his faith in Jesus Christ. And this young boy would become the first Protestant missionary to China. You know, we hear the names Hudson Taylor and all these other famous missionaries to China. Not many know the name Robert Morrison. But he was the first to go to China as a missionary to take the gospel. He went in a day and time where the Chinese said, if you try to come here, nobody who's not Chinese is allowed to learn our language. Nobody's allowed to share what they believe. You're not allowed to do any of that. Yet Robert Morris translated the Bible into Mandarin, translated into Cantonese, all the work that he did in ministry would bear fruit in future generations. Don't grow weary. Some of the ministry you do today, you may not see the fruit of it in your lifetime. That Sunday school teacher never heard of Hudson Taylor because she died before Hudson Taylor was born. Yet the ministry of Hudson Taylor was built upon the work that Robert Morrison had done, which was built upon this Sunday school teacher who said, I'll keep going. 
I won't grow weary. So let me ask, have you grown weary? God's made us where we need rest. He's made us where we need one another. So we shouldn't be surprised that we grow weary. But Paul is saying, don't give up in growing weary. Keep on going. In due season, you will reap. We don't know when that'll come, but keep on going. And the final thing we see in this passage today in verse 10. It says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. So the Christian's responsibility, we have a responsibility here toward all people, but he speaks of a group that we have a particular responsibility toward. He says, especially those who are in the household of faith. Now, sometimes in the church, we can become so focused on outreach and those who don't know the gospel. And believe me, we need to focus on those who don't know the gospel. They are headed toward an eternity separated from God. We need to focus on them. But we can do so at the expense of others within the household of faith. No, we need to look to one another and say, How you doing? Keep running well. Don't grow weary. Hey, have you fallen? Can I help pick you up? We have a responsibility first to one another to help one another out as we all run this race. As we all have the potential to grow weary as we all have the potential to be caught in a transgression, as we all have this potential to have a burden that's too heavy to be carried, we need one another. The Bible is filled with one another's. A Christian who says, I'm fine by myself. I don't need anybody else. Me, Jesus, my quiet time, I'm good. That person is headed toward falling. Growing weary, carrying a burden. No, we desperately need one another. That's why we speak of Jesus' strategy often here, a strategy of discipleship. Because we recognize you can't do it alone. I can't do it alone. There's times I'm weary and I have to call somebody, reach out to somebody and say, hey, I need help. We all need that. Let me tell you, the more you take serious Jesus' commands to love others, to love God, to do unto others as you'd have them do to you, the more seriously we take those, the more we're at risk of growing weary. The more the enemy wants to trap you. And let me tell you, our enemy, he can't read your mind. Don't worry about that. Only God knows what's going on in here. But he's been studying human nature for thousands of years. And he knows if this doesn't get him, this might. If this doesn't, if this doesn't trap him, this might. I'm going to see how can I trap this person in a transgression. So some of you today, you're here and you're caught. You're caught in a transgression. And because of shame and fear, you don't want to say help. I need somebody to help me. Let me tell you, you need help. You need somebody else. And church, if someone comes to you and says, hey, I need help, don't look at them and say, oh, you've, you've been so awful, so bad, let me kick you while you're down. Pick them up. Get in it with them. 
Love them. Don't become puffed up and go, oh, I would never do that. No. Say, I want something more for you. Some of you are carrying heavy burdens and you need help. You need someone to be with you. Some of you are sowing more in the flesh than you're sowing in gospel seed. You're sowing in the word. You're sowing in the spirit. Some are deceived. And if that's where we are, we need one another. If you're here today and growing weary, I want to say thank you for your labor for the gospel. But I also want to say, hey, don't grow weary. You need other people. You need people around you. God hasn't made it where you run this race alone. He's made it where at times we fall and we need somebody to pick us up. And I pray that you would have the courage, strength, and wisdom. Say, help. I'm growing weary. Help, I'm caught. I need it. You see, the church, we're to help one another. Our elders and our pastors, we would love to meet and help encourage you. But know this. The church, the body of Christ, we're to do that for one another. We believe in the ministry of all the saints, the priesthood of all believers. So when someone comes to you, seek to restore them with great gentleness and love and compassion. Let's pray. God, even as I walk through this passage, I realize that all of us here that sin, temptation lurks at the door for each of us. That we have an enemy who wants to catch us in sin, get us trapped, and then wants to get us so afraid that we won't ask anyone to help. That we have an enemy that wants to tell us as the church that if someone is struggling, that that's too shameful and you should look at them and not help. But Lord, we see that we're to help carry one another's burdens. Lord, there are some here today who I know are weary. They may be wearied by struggles of the flesh. They may be wearied by the ministry load that they're carrying. But they're wearied. They're tired. And Lord, they need someone to come alongside and say, I'm here for you. Someone to take time to call Someone to reach out. Someone to say, hey, I know you're in a season that's hard. I'm here for you. So Lord, as a church, may we not live as islands, people unto ourselves who don't need one another. May we recognize that we desperately need one another. And may we seek to help one another run the race well, to fight the good fight, and to finish to be faithful to the day that you call us home. Lord, if there's any here who don't know you or haven't trusted you, may they experience the freedom that comes only in Jesus Christ, that you've forgiven us of our sins, that you took the burden, that you took our transgressions, that you got down in the mess with us, that you took what we deserved, 
and gave us what we don't. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. And now, church, let's stand and respond. Let's respond to God in song as we sing praises to our God of great grace and mercy. Amen.